Good afternoon and welcome to this Good Friday and final service that we are having during Holy Week. I hope that you found these services meaningful to your pilgrimage toward the cross in our Lenten season. I invite you to take your hymnal, please, and turn to page 192. We are going to sing, Were You There? But we will only sing stanzas one through three because four is not appropriate until Sunday. Okay, so uh, let's stand and sing together. <laughs> Let's do our response together. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for 
and the gift of this Good Friday. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to tremble at the thought of all that you've done for us, Christ, in coming and taking on flesh and becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. I pray that that be personal for us today, that we'd be reminded that it's our testimony and that we would leave this place with the weight and the gravity and the joy and the obedience that should flow from our lives as those who've been pardoned. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe seated. Thank you so much for your presence here today. It's been, um, it's been a wonderful week so far. Thank you for your hospitality to Cameron Cole, who was able to be here with us on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, I thought last night we had a great service in the sanctuary for all who could be there, and then um, today. So today, so you know, if you haven't been here, after the service, we'll go down to Heritage Hall for lunch. I hope each of you can stay and be a part of that fellowship around the tables. Today we have a special treat. Um, Sarah Kate Hatley is home with us, and she's all grown and off at college now. Um, but she's a wonderfully talented musician who's going to come um, and play when I survey the wondrous cross for us.
Thank you, Sarah Kay. Beautiful. Probably if you would, to take a Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 52. We'll read Isaiah 52, 13 through the end of chapter 53. Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has been told has not been told, them they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be present, that you would do for us what we can't do for ourselves, that you would make these words your living and active word to us even now. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I have, um, I've been pretty good in recent years at reading the Bible. One of the spiritual disciplines that, that I seem to be able to stick with that's become part of my daily habit or routine is Bible intake. Now, that is probably to the detriment of other things. I don't pray like I would like to pray. 
or I don't give as faithfully as I should or serve how I'd like to serve. But, but Bible reading seems to be one of those things that I've been able to kind of cement in my life. And my current approach is, of course, I listen to the church Bible reading plan, Project 119. That's how I kind of start my day. And then I follow a plan by the Anglican Church in North America. They call it the Daily Office. And I go and I read, and I just read whatever's assigned. And so I usually get a couple chapters of the book of Psalms. I usually get an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. And this rhythm has become just a part of my daily um, exercise. It's been so helpful and life-giving to me. And it forces me to go into portions of the Bible that I wouldn't always choose to go myself. Portions of the Old Testament that, if I'm honest with you, don't exactly just fire me up first thing in the morning to read. And I was, um, on Monday, I opened up the daily office, and I flipped to April the 5th, and where do you think I was starting? Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus. And I got to tell you, as I turned my Bible to Leviticus, it was... It's a little bit laborious. I might have let out an a audible, oh. turn to Leviticus. Because the Bible starts out with all these amazing and exciting narratives. The book of Genesis, it's exciting. How did all this get here? How are we created? The fall of mankind. God's plan of redemption through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You get the Joseph narratives. Everybody loves the Joseph narratives at the end of the book of Genesis. You get to Exodus, you learn about Moses and his call, you hear about the way that God preserved his life, sent him back to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt through all these miraculous signs and wonders. You have the Red Sea crossing. There are all these things that are just so exciting. And then you hit Leviticus, which is probably the, the graveyard where a lot of Bible reading plan zealots have, have gone to die. You get to Leviticus and they think, oh, how can I make it through this? Rules and regulations, many that seem just so outdated and disconnected from our daily lives. What do I do if I get leprosy? If I have mold in my house, how do I remediate that? prescriptions for all these different type of physical ailments that you're working through. You're just thinking, Lord, just help me. I'm just going to keep reading. And so I somewhat hesitatingly turned to Leviticus chapter 1. But when I got to verses 4 and 5, I was really stopped in my tracks this time. So I'm going to read for you Leviticus chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, He, speaking of a worshiper, came the tabernacle, shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is the entrance of the tent of meeting. I read those, I read those verses this past Monday, and, and it wasn't just any Monday, was it? It was the Monday of Holy Week. All my thoughts and attentions were already focused on Easter week, preparations for services like this one. The cross was right there at the forefront of my mind. 
And there was something about reading this part about the whole burnt offering and what was required that really struck me. And in part, I think it was that the way in which the worshiper would have brought the sacrifice to the tabernacle during this moment, it was so hands-on and personal. So imagine me going out and I find a bull and I walk it down to the tabernacle. I got to walk with this living being down there. And then I got to put my hand on its head. Like touching some living thing's head is a very personal thing, isn't it? Touch the head. And then I don't even just rely upon the priest to do the killing. The worshiper is required to do that. And there seemed to be in that such a personal connection, an owning up to all the reasons why this sacrifice was necessary, the person's sin being symbolically transferred onto this living animal, and then a life being taken so that forgiveness of the worshiper would be um, accomplished. And I have to tell you, as I read those verses on Monday of Holy Week, I really was struck by the idea that so many times my understanding of salvation and what Christ did for me is somewhat hypothetical and divorced from my own personal experience. And you and I are are that way about death usually, especially the death of another living thing, especially the death of a human being. We could go around, we could debate whether or not capital punishment is appropriate. We could go around and debate whether or not the taking of a life for um, any offense would be something that we would think is appropriate. But one of the things that usually you and I agree upon is that those who are innocent should not die for those who, I mean, those who are yeah, innocent should not die for those who are guilty. There seems to be this inward kind of sense of justice that all of us are born with, that, that there's something not right about that. And then, even if you thought, yeah, I could get on board with the capital punishment being administered, we usually do it in such a way that no one person feels the weight of that. There are mechanisms in place that you may have been the person who did it, but you don't know. And you go home and no one person can say, I did that because the taking of a life is this personal, heavy thing that all of us understand. Shouldn't be haphazard. And not really many of us want to be involved in that. So as I was thinking about this part of Leviticus chapter 1, and I was thinking about Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross, there was this impression, I think, of the Holy Spirit in my heart to help me connect the experience of Jesus on the cross on Good Friday to me. And not to a random person out there that I might make up in my mind, or not to humanity in general. But I had this moment where I thought, in my mind's eye, of what it would have looked like for me to place my hand on Jesus' head. And the transfer of my guilt and my sin upon him. And it not be in this, again, theoretical thing that Jesus maybe somehow died for my sins, but know that, that Jesus very much died for, for my sins. And that I was active and involved in what it was that he did on the cross. 
maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time. It might be that we could pass out papers here in the chapel today and lots of us could pass theology exams. Might be a lot of us could know the right answers to write down. We would be orthodox to the T. But I think there is a danger that the more that you and I become familiar with doctrines and with theologies, with Good Friday services and Easter celebrations, that we're in danger of allowing these things to become theoretical and not our own experience so that we don't feel it deeply. The hymn that we sang to begin, I thought, was so appropriate. Were you there? Were you there? And there's a way in which we could say, well, of course I wasn't there. I wasn't physically present in that moment when Jesus gave up his life on the cross. But the scriptural witness is very much, yes, yeah, you were. Yes, we were. And we ought to, I think, much more tremble at the thought of it. Tremble at the thought of the sinless Son of God coming into the world to take on flesh for us, created like us in every respect, yet without what? Sin. And at every point in Jesus' life, he humbles himself to take upon our human experience, knowing that the cross is ultimately waiting for him. And it wasn't for humanity in general, it was for, it was for you and for me. So when I read Isaiah chapter 53 in that light, there's a part of me that I just want to be like, how, how could this be true? And when he asked in 53.1, who has believed what he has heard from us? I want you to think about that question, who has believed what he has heard from us? Again, not, not theoretically for someone, but for you. Have you believed what, what you've heard from the prophet about Christ? That he was despised and rejected by men. That he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That he was pierced for our transgressions. That he was crushed for our iniquities. That upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Surely all of us identify with verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, we know what God's will for us is in most circumstances, but there is this part of us that we rebel and we get off the path. And I'm particularly struck by Jesus on the cross not making a defense for himself. He didn't try to rationalize it, explain it away. He didn't try to make a case for himself. He just quietly endured the suffering and shame of the cross, and he could have done something different had he chosen to in that moment. But Jesus wasn't ultimately bound by nails. He wasn't ultimately controlled by the mob. But at every point along the way, Jesus willingly yielded himself to his Father's plan, a plan that is not fair to him, a plan that wouldn't hold up by any standards of justice in our day. But nonetheless, Jesus goes to the cross, makes his grave with the wicked, 
submits himself to his father's plan for salvation for our sin and even now lives to make intercession for us. That is a truth that I think if it falls upon our hearts and our minds afresh, that it changes how we live, that it changes our understanding and our appreciation of who Christ is as our personal Lord and Savior, and it fills us with some sense of obligation and some sense of debt to then yield our lives to God's plans and purposes in this world in a way that's different than if we just theoretically give mental assent to ideas of forgiveness and what Christ did for us on the cross. Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're here and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the remarkable reality about your standing before the Lord is that you are in this moment perfectly righteous. It's as if you've never done anything wrong and it's as if you've always done everything right in the same way that Christ lived his life in this world. And the way you got there was for Christ to take on your sinful, fallen record. And he makes this great exchange so that you and I can experience atonement, peace with the Lord in every respect. I've already um, let you know that I, I like music a lot. I really like music a lot. There's something about music and songs and lyrics that, that seem to communicate things to me in ways that sometimes just straight um, rhetoric or text can't. And I came across this um, musician a few years ago, thanks to Apple. They said, hey, you might like this. Well, they were right. A guy named Jason Eady, he's a country singer, and he has this song called Barabbas. And it's kind of this first-person narrative of, of Barabbas' story. And you, all, you all remember Barabbas, right? He was the guy that was there who was, who was by all accounts, guilty. And he and Jesus just happened to cross paths that day. And the angry mob needed somebody to release and somebody to accuse. And Barabbas was the one who got to go free. And so he tells the story of Barabbas from a first-person narrative, and he says, you know, I, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know why he's here innocent, but I'm pretty sure he's innocent. And he had already resigned himself to the fact that he was going to be declared guilty. He was dead to rights. He'd kind of given up any hopes of being released. And then, for some reason that he doesn't know, he's allowed to go free. And so he talks about, in the song, how Barabbas felt on the other side of his freedom. And he makes this, this is the chorus. He says, I've got a second chance. I'm going to make it count. Make my way out west, maybe head down south. Live a life of a pardoned man. Believing in things I don't understand. Living the life of a pardoned man believing in things that I don't understand. 
I, that that's all should be all of us, our song. That I've been pardoned. And it wasn't because of anything that I've done. It wasn't because of my righteousness. I was dead to rights. It was over for me. But Christ in his grace and his mercy stepped in and took the punishment that we deserved. As you leave the chapel today, I want you to think about what it would look like for you to live a pardoned life. How would you feel if you were in front of the judge and you knew it was over? And for some reason, because of the sacrifice of another, you were set free. How would you live your life as a Christian if you knew that you were dead to rights and you had no, no arguments, no claims, no lawyer could help you? And Jesus stepped into your place. He took on the punishment for the sins that you have done and that you ever will do. And you're declared perfectly righteous and acceptable in God's sight. May it be that you and I, on this Good Friday, recognize the significance of all that God has done for us in Jesus. And it's our, it's our hope, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to live as pardoned people. Pray you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help each of us in this chapel as we think about the significance of this day and for what it means for us as followers of Jesus. That you would help it to go beyond just mental assent, but that you help our hearts to be softened and that we would stand in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. And that we would believe that we are pardoned through faith in Christ, that we are perfectly righteous even now, and that you would, that you would give us a sense of responsibility to go out and live like pardoned people. We'd be humble, that we would be kind, and that we would hope, hold out the hope of the gospel to all who will listen. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. For the last time, I ask you to turn to page 185. The old rugged cross will stand and sing stanza four today. <clears throat> Exchange it someday for 
Perhaps you know the old saying, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I look forward um, to joining you on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Um, the first opportunity you have is 6.30 in the morning. At the high school, we're going to have a sunrise service. Um, us, Brookwood Baptist, St. Stephen's, Episcopal, um, True Vine, um, it'll be a, a, a great opportunity. So if you're like me and you're awake anyways, go over to the high school at 6.30. We'll have a community um, worship service there. And then, of course, we'll have our normal schedule here at the church, 9, 10, and 11. So hope that you'll come. Look forward to seeing um, each of you there. If you're traveling out of town to celebrate Easter with family, um, pray that it's a safe trip for you. and You have a wonderful time um, there with your family. We're going to head down to Heritage Hall for lunch, and I will say a benediction that will also serve as our blessing. I'd like you to pray with me. God, we thank you for... Um, for this season and for all that it means for us as Christians. We pray that you would help us to rejoice on Sunday and to exclaim that, that you indeed, Lord Jesus, have risen, that we would be filled with hope and joy and that we extend that to others. We thank you for, for the food that we're about to eat. We thank you for those who prepared it. We pray that we would have joyful fellowship around the tables, and we offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Good job. Great job. It was a great week. It was a really good week.